What's that, Emily? Oh, it's a bird of prey. Yeah. Is it a heron? No, is it no, it's a... it's got a fork tail. Fork tail. It's a heron. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll with band leader, comedian and creator and host of the massively popular Channel 4 show Taskmaster, Alex Horn. Alex and his adorable cockapoo Lockie took me for a wander around their manor in Buckinghamshire and he was, just as you'd expect, charming company and he's also a keen bird watcher so it was very educational. I now know for example that a red kite is definitely not a heron. Alex describes himself as being quite a shy person. He actually struck me as just a really unassuming gentle decent guy with this extraordinary big creative brain. We chatted about all sorts, his childhood Labrador, Hamish, when he was growing up with his two brothers and his mum Sheila and dad Dr Hugh, how he was more of an observer than a loud character as a kid, as well as his entry into comedy and performing when he went to Cambridge. We also discussed his very first proper date with his wife Rachel and of course the story behind his genius creation, the show Taskmaster. And there is currently a brand new series of it going out on Channel 4 at 9pm on Thursdays right now, hosted by the wonderful Greg Davis and of course Alex. So do get involved because it's brilliant and also Lee Max on this run. Happy now, Lee. You got your mention, love. I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Alex. I loved him. In fact, I describe him as living proof that nice guys can finish first. And he also happens to have one of the nicest dogs I've ever met. I said one of the Ray. Calm down, dear. Do remember to rate, review and subscribe to hear more. I'll hand over to the man himself now. Here's Alex and Lockie. Right, so what happens? We just go, do we? Do you want to hold her leads? Really excited, Alex. So she. So am I, obviously, but mainly so she. And Come here. Oh, sweetheart. The thing is, Alex, mm. I have no discipline. No, you're just standing next to her. I just drag her along. Are you okay if I do that? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I haven't even formally met her yet. Well, otherwise we would just stand by that bush all morning. <laughs> On my right, please, sweetheart. Have you been to Chesham before? No, this is my first time. I'm going to show you all the sights. Are you showing me the sights? Can I meet your dog, Alex? And then yes. I'll introduce you. Well, do you want me to introduce you to her and her to you? Yeah, why not? OK, Emily, this is Lockie. Lockie, this is Emily. Lockie, this is Emily. Lockie, yes. L-O-K-Y, which I think is meant to be... She's meant to be named after that character in the Avengers movies. But I think, I think that's a he who's pronounced Loki. Is that Tom Hiddleston? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Was it named by children, your dog? Yes, it was named by children. <laughs> and it's the first little girl in our family, apart from my wife. So I've got three boys. <laughs> so they didn't want too girly a name. And I think it's actually quite good for them to have a female their age. Well, we'll talk more about her after I've introduced you. I'm with the very wonderful... I mean, you've got so many... So many things before your name, I don't really know what to kick off I'm with. I'm enjoying, very wonderful. Okay, very wonderful. Band leader, comedian, creator and host of Taskmaster, Alex Horn. Did you notice I gave you the, the sole host credit there? Yes, I... <laughs> and I well, left Greg Davis off. <laughs> yeah, he won't enjoy that. Well, Greg Davis, your co-host, has been on this podcast. Well, he's, he's met Lockie before. They're so funny together because, obviously, she's quite small and he's not. 
But he's, he's such a softie, isn't he? Oh, well, we took a Rottweiler out. Right. And, uh, well, it was a, I think it was a Rotten Shepherd we took out. And a dog. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> so, Alex Horn, mm. we're in your locale. Yes. Which is Chesham. Chesham, the greatest market town in Buckinghamshire. I will show you a bit. We're going to do so our regular small walk. If you've only got, if you've got under an hour, this is a walk we do with the kids. And one bit of it is really, really beautiful. And, you know, it's just within walking distance of our house, so we feel very lucky. Hi. <laughs> you all right? Come on, Lockie. Oh, Lockie didn't get on very well with that dog, Alex. No, I think that, that <laughs> dog is quite a barky dog. She barks in the garden a lot because we've got an abandoned house next to us, which is full of deer and foxes, so she goes mad. Oh. It's quite frustrating. How would you stop a dog barking, Emily? Well, do you know, I spoke to... There's a gentleman called Graham Hall who's on the show Dogs Behaving Very Badly, which you may be familiar with. Yes. And I was talking to him about dog barking, and I said to him, well, when my dog Raymond... The day I brought him home, he tried to bark, and I said, oh, no, we don't do that. And he never did it again. What? <laughs> and the Graham Hall said, he intimated that that was wishful thinking on my part, that it had anything to do with me. Right. So, Rocky hasn't done much barking, No, though. she won't bark on this walk at all. It's only in our garden, because there are these weird animals next door. Ah. So I think unless we, somebody moves in and develops the house. She's got such an... Elegant little gate. Yeah, she's like a little show pony. <gasps> what a stunning girl she is. So will you talk me through Lockie and what flavour she is, etc. So Lockie is, I think she's a year and a half, nearly a year and a half now. She was born in October 2019, so she's a year and a half. So I think she's not a puppy anymore and that's as big as she's going to get. She's smaller than we'd hoped, but actually it's really practical because she can get on her sofas and laps and stuff. And we got her because... I'm, I wanted a dog at some point, but in a sort of typical male way. Not now, you know, now's not right. And my wife eventually said, well, well I found one, we're getting one. It's nice weather, isn't it? <laughs> and what kind of dog is she? She is a cockapoo, which is what everyone in Chesham's got. Because really? they are child-friendly and they don't moult and they're hypoallergenic. But you do have to get their hair cut, which I didn't, I'm not used to that with dogs. We used to have Labradors. And they just exist, you know, and they smell. She so didn't really lucky. smell. But um, you don't have to have her haircut every six weeks, which, which seems to me a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And her mum lives down there. She's a local doctor. We know the family. They all go to the same Aww. school as the kids. So, so she sees her mum still, which I think is quite nice. Oh, how nice. She seems ever so good-natured, Alex. Well, she's the best dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, sometimes I describe her as being character-free, but I think that's... <laughs> bit harsh because I think she has got a good personality but she's it's not a strong personality she's sort of just if she's a human I think I'd like her but she's just a calm person yeah she wouldn't be a comic <laughs> she would be uh, I think she'd have a little souvenir shop or something yes. Chesham is full of people making noise just by the way he's <laughs> famous for it hello leaf blower man yeah they're all volunteer they all just do it as a hobby <laughs> Oh, so, did you have uh, 
dogs when you were growing up, Alex? Well, we had a dog. We had a dog called Hamish, a big black Labrador, and two male black cats called Horace and Boris, and again, three boys. So it's another male household. We're going in here, by the way. Oh, Welcome do you want to, to do the gate? Park. Yes. Off you go, Lockie. May the odds be ever in your favour. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she won't go far. <laughs> You'll just see. She didn't move. So, yeah, so this is your dad, Hugh. Hugh. My mum, Sheila. And my two brothers, Matt and Chip. Chip is an unusual name because that sounds like a sort of American college yeah, name. Like an American golfer. How did Chip happen? Well, Chip happened because he was called Christopher and then he couldn't pronounce Christopher, so he called himself Chip and then it, we all called him that and then he changed it by deed poll when he was 18. And that's really? our sort of one, a family story that makes us sound more interesting <laughs> than we are. Whereabouts did you grow up then? Where were you living at that point? In a little town, a bit like Chesham, called Midhurst in West Sussex. Yeah. Which was sort of the same as this, really. So this is, you can, what I like about Chesham is you can see it all down there because it's in the valley and Midhurst was pretty similar. 5,000 people. And what was your family environment like? Was it quite a... I know your dad was a bird watcher. A birder, I'm sorry. Very good. Very good. Not a twitcher, not a bird watcher, but a birder. Very important. But he was um, a GP, but he retired when he was 55. Because he could then. And um, that's approaching now, 55. Imagine retiring at 55. <laughs> And then he just became a full-time bird watcher, really, or birder. He works for the RS, well, he volunteers for the RSPB and potters about. And was your mum a homemaker? Well, she was a... Now then, this job title always escapes me. A... What's that job? This doesn't do me any favours not remembering my mum's job. Um, it's like, it's a two-word phrase. A something can something, like a career... Like a something, something... Consultant? No, so it helps in your house if you need to put... Interior designer? <laughs> no, if you need to put up bars to help people with wheelchairs and stuff. There's something, something. Um, um, does my I mom, know what does my mum do for a job? She is a something, something. Um, I like this sign. Oh. That's Chesham for you. Oh, Look, it's good, isn't it? Chesham reveals historical timeline. Yeah, it used to be Roman. And there's a sort of pudding stone. And a little oh. weird burial thing with eight trees around it. Good, isn't it? So it's very, it's very oh, old. Begins with, oh, occupational therapist. Very good. She's an occupational therapist. I'm saying very good, congratulating you, because you finally remembered what your mother did. Mm. And then she got a job in the surgery when we were kids, so that's all I know. Hello. 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 Oh, Lockie's quite irregular here. You do meet the community as a dog owner, it's quite funny. Do you like that? Yeah, I really like it. You're quite friendly, Alex, aren't you? Well, what I like is sort of the enforced shortness of conversations with the dog. Because <laughs> you, you can just say, right, bye, halfway through a conversation, <laughs> and no one minds. <laughs> you're obviously, you're a funny guy. Was that evident when you were growing up? Were you, were you sort of funny Alex? Um, well, so I wasn't ever the joker in the classroom. You know, you, I, I always think this probably loads, but two types of comics growing up. So one who's really funny in the classroom and one who just sits at the back and notices things, I suppose. So I was more of that type. But in there, lots of dogs there. But in, in the Horn household, 
I think I thought I was quite funny. You know, I could make people laugh at Christmas dinner when we were playing games, like Balderdash. I was always trying to do funny answers. I think that's probably where you learn to be funny. Hello, it's the retriever here. Little... And a little lad, maybe. Oh, she's like oh. falling over. <laughs> see, I always think Lockie's got a nice colour, and then you see other dogs and you think, oh no, she's rubbish colour. Okay. <laughs> Lockie's hair colour is like my hair colour, just nothing. <laughs> There's some black labs to remind you of your youth, Alex. Yeah, I do still miss my dog. So he died when I was 21, I think. And my wife always says it's the only, well, first time she saw me cry or anything like that. Because it is quite bad. And I'm already thinking, oh, God, Lockie's going to die at some point. And then my children will get really sad. It's, it is really heartbreaking, isn't yeah. it? Do you like those daffodils? Oh, they're nice. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. The dog poo bin, right there, that is... Oh, that's handy. Great news. So your family... Were you close to your brothers when you were growing up, Alex? Yeah. Uh, what do you, what's your tactic? Just pick up all the grass, that's what I do. Yeah. I mean... Do it all. Because it's going to get... Um, yeah, so we're very similar to my children in that there's a couple of years between each of us. So we're all at the same schools and all boys, so lots of football and, you know, standard stuff, really. Yeah. And they both live within an hour of here. I and what my... do they do? Are you allowed to say what they do? No, because they're both criminals. <laughs> really bad ones. No, one is a, one it works for the Financial Conduct Authority and one works for Google. But I think it's typical in that the older one got the, had the more sensible job. Have you got siblings? Well, I've got a sister, but she sadly, she sadly died. Oh, I'm sorry. But yeah, I think having had a sibling, I think I think it is interesting the way you know from quite a young age. I think you take on a not a role, but you know what your character is in the family, don't you? Yeah, I think so. So were you sort of Alex? Were you the sort of mischievous one, or just the wry one? I think not naughty. Yeah. I was never really very naughty, but but probably slightly more <laughs> maverick in a very middle class way. <laughs> so I'd wear silly hats, and uh, I had slightly long hair for a bit, and went to festivals. So slightly more. I think the middle one you can get away with a bit more because you're not the baby and you're not, you know, everything's not on your shoulders. And I can see that with my three boys. The middle one is the more eccentric, definitely already, at age ten. And. Did you go through a rebellious phase at all? Um, no. I got caught drinking at school when I was 15 and had to tell my parents, and that was, that was the height of it, really. How did Hugh take it? Si- uh, silence. Well, I told my <laughs> mum, and she said, you've got to go and tell your father, who was in the, in the greenhouse. So I said, how do I tell him? And she said, just tell him there's been trouble up mill. And I don't know what that meant. So I said that to him, and he said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I explained, I got caught drinking, and then that was it, that was fine. <laughs> I think the, punish- the punishment is just telling them, really. Right, we're going down to this bit. Right, so were you, um, were you shy, Alex, as a, as a kid? Like, at school, what was your sort of role in your, with your peers, would you say? Oh! And Emily is down. <laughs> <laughs> She's gone. <laughs> Oh, she's down again. You go first. It's like a mountain, isn't it? So treacherous. Um, I, yeah, I, what was your... What was your? 
Your Spice Girl persona? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I was very similar to it as I am now, really. Like, there's a bit of shyness. What's I really like this, sort of talking to people, but I wouldn't like it if there was five of us in an audience. Why? I don't know. Um, well, so with Frank, I think he's not shy at all. Frank Skinner. Skinner. Just I'm thinking of our mutual friends. Yeah. Or, or even t or Tim Key, I don't think he's shy at all. Or Greg Davis. I'd go so far as to say show-offs. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all show-offs. I don't think I'm a show-off. And, and I don't use that negatively because I consider myself a show-off. Yeah, and most comedians are. That's sort of the job, really. Um, but I've definitely got it in me. But I find some social situations quite fiddly. Do you? Well, it doesn't help be, being officially a comedian. So people are expecting you to be funny. Yeah. It's much nicer when you're just, oh, he's quite funny. <laughs> should be a comedian. We're well, it's, it's a bit time. like saying you're a supermodel, isn't it? <laughs> In some respects. Yeah. It's kind of if that's the first thing people know about you. I think they should have super comedians. Like, you can be a model or a supermodel. <laughs> I'm definitely not a super comedian. Yeah, and if you're with people, like when your kids go to a new school and people know you're a comedian, which does happen, they, the stakes are quite high. They're all excited, <laughs> <laughs> which is really unbalanced for your first sort of cup of tea. I'm, uh, to be honest, most people are very nice and take it in their stride. Um, we're going to see some red kites in a bit. Would that be nice? Well, because... We're going to talk about birding because I know that's something that really connected you with your dad, which I find rather lovely, actually. Well, I, would, I need to make it clear that I, I didn't bond with my dad about birdwatching till I was 30, whereas my older brother did. They would go on proper birdwatching trips. They went to Fair Isle in Scotland for a week and did proper observatory stuff, whereas I really... I didn't really react against it, but I thought it was so boring until I suddenly was of the age where you think oh, I should, well, I don't know, you suddenly notice things a bit more, or I did anyway, and suddenly wanted to know what things were a bit more. So then spent a year with him birdwatching and wrote a book about it, but it wasn't for the book, you know, it was, it was for fun, really. And then, yeah, it was, and, that, and now, I mean, he would talk for hours and hours about birds, and I'm not anything like that. But what we're going to do now, Emily, is we're going to walk into the woods, <gasps> yeah. and we're going to find something that I hid there two weeks ago. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Why did you hide it there? Because we've got a nature camera and we hide it in the woods every couple of weeks and see what animals you get. Morning. Hello. Morning. Hiya. So it's it's tied to a tree in here. Are you alright to go oh, in here? Yes. You might fall over again. I'm following Alex into the undergrowth here. Yeah. So you were, I'm imagining you were super clever, Alex, at school. Were you very, were you sort of straight A's? Um, yes, I was, <laughs> but that's a bit embarrassing. But I used to really struggle with admitting that I went to Cambridge University. Because I found that quite embarrassing and a bit show. So there's always this thing where, yeah. can you see it? What's, oh no. No, it's quite low down, tied to a tree, and there's always a chance that someone's nicked it. There it is. We're looking for the treasure. You see it tied to that tree there? The treasure, there it is. So there's a little camera there. Oh. And every time an animal walks past it, it records for 30 seconds. That's amazing. It's brilliant. And you get deer and foxes and badgers and occasionally teenagers. So you must have been, to go to Cambridge, you must have been, that wasn't sort of a surprise or that was kind of expected, really. 
Well, I took a couple of goats. I tried to go to Oxford and didn't get in. And then I tried to go to Cambridge and didn't get in. And then they phoned up and said, we've got a place at another college. So I, I wasn't top of the top of the tree. You know, I got a 2-1, that sort of thing. So not super, super clever. But I found exams quite easy. Uh, as in, I found the process of exams. They suited me. And were you shy at, as a student? Were you... Well, my nickname was Shaky from the first week, and it still isn't for a lot of people who know me, because I definitely compensated by drinking lots, like you do if you're a fresher, yeah. and was always a bit shaky, either through nerves or sort of hangover. Are we lost in the woods? <laughs> a bit like Narnia, isn't it? <laughs> um, so I was, I was a bit shy, but also quite outgoing, that combination, I suppose. Were you confident socially? Were you sort of... Um, did you, were you confident with girls? No, not at all. Really? I think partly having so many males in the house, and I did go to a male school. There were girls in the sixth form, but by that stage, it's too late, really, isn't it? If you haven't spoken to a girl when you're 16. And had you not? Not really, no. Um, what effect? What effect does that have on you then? Just growing up with boys, do you think? largely met male household well I don't think it's anything too adverse but it's just I think you're just a bit slower to get a girlfriend really and you know university sorted sorted that out because then suddenly you're just in a mixed mm. scenario but we're definitely trying with ours to make sure they know girls are the same as boys you know that's it's just not to be embarrassed about it I think I was embarrassed about girls so tell me we should talk about when you got into comedy. Okay. You, you left, well actually it was when you were a member of Footlights, when you were at university that you first got involved in comedy, wasn't it? Yeah, yes it was. Um, I was always a bit embarrassed about Footlights as well because there's that perceived thing that there's a natural easy path if you go to Cambridge and then you go to Footlights and then you get a job on the telly as a comedian, which I think maybe used to be slightly more the case, but actually, um, yeah, so I was a bit embarrassed about saying I was at Footlights. But it does tend to be that some really amazing people have come from Footlights to the world of comedy, but some amazing people have come from all over the place to comedy. And I also think Footlights does attract, uh, well, if I had the choice of Oxford or Cambridge and I wanted to be a comedian, I'd probably go to Cambridge because of the history of it. So it's sort of, I don't think it's too unfair, but this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but I did go to, so what Footlights is, because that's the other thing, people don't really know what it is, I think. It's just a open mic club, really. So an amateur comedy night that anyone can turn up to and do three minutes of material. And they have them at all universities, really, now. And it's a pretty tough training ground because all the people in the audience are Cambridge students who think, they're, who think they know best. So it's tough in the poshest of ways. Yeah. But you do learn if you're funny or not. And you get stage time. So I did that. I went, did a couple of spots there and then went down to London every couple of weeks from Cambridge and did the open mic scene in, in London from the timeout listings section. Where but you I'm interested in this idea of you being quite, quite sort of um, not super confident socially, you've said. Mm. You know, I'm interested in shaky. Yep. 
then making the decision to get up on stage and, and do what for many people is the most frightening prospect of their entire life. Yeah, it's really weird, I think, looking back, because that was 25 years ago, pretty much. And I think it, it probably is the bravest thing I've done, because it's the very first time is, it's so scary. And actually, the, you had to audition to do one of these open mic nights. They were called Smokers. And you had to audition for it. And that was the worst. But I walked past the door for a couple of weeks and didn't go in. Because, I mean, almost that's worse than an audience. You're standing in front of four people um, trying, to make, trying to convince them you're funny. Um, so that was, that was just a moment of you being emboldened due to, due to kind of youth, I guess. Yeah, I think I always thought, well, I've got to give it a go at some point in the back of my mind. It wasn't a deliberate, there's no career plan or anything like that, but I just thought I've got to itch this, scratch this itch, or itch the scratch. There's a red kite. Oh, yeah. Did you get signed whilst you were at Cambridge? I did. Um, so I, the path back then, I don't know what it is now, but you would do the open mic circuit, then every year the competitions would come up, so they'd have the Daily Telegraph, Young Comedian competition, the BBC one, So You Think You're Funny, the Amused Moose, new act competition. So you do all them and you see all the people in your sort of comic year group. So I was with people like Nina Conti and uh, Mark Watson was sort of the year below me and so was um, Rod Gilbert. Jimmy Carr was sort of my year. Yeah, so you do competitions with all those lot and the same people win them all. And I came third in one and got an agent from that. Nigel at Bound and Gagged Comedy and that's so exciting. You know, you, got, you sign this thing, you sign a contract, and then he starts getting you some work. So you get 50 quid here, 40 quid there, and drive around the country as soon as you leave university. But you, I had to have another job at the same time for a couple of years. But then if you get enough work, you can become a professional. That's, that's how it worked for me. And you were always able to kind of support yourself throughout that period, because the horn section, which is, how I first got to know you, actually, through Edinburgh, which I know was some years later, wasn't it? But I remember everyone saying, you've got to go and see these, these guys. They're absolutely amazing. Cool. <laughs> that was a lot later, actually. That's when I first had a, a kid. So I was 30 when that started. Really? Mm. So that was quite a big year for you. So you'd been gigging and enjoying a lot of success at that point, hadn't you? But not any you? money. So, yeah, so I did Edinburgh for a good few years. Yeah. And was, you know, you had the odd thing. So we did a, we got one little telly program on BBC Four, which, you know, well, in comedy, you sort of get a little thing every now and again, like an advert or a radio thing, which will keep you going. And you're just praying another one lands. Yeah. Because you can't really live on Edinburgh earnings and the circuit earnings if you've got three children, I think. So, uh, yeah, so when the first kid happened, that was the same year I started the Horn Section and Taskmaster. So it was quite Well, a good I want to talk about both of those things, but um, I also, I'm interested, because you met your wife, Rachel. Yes. When, were you at, it was after, well, you tell me how you met your wife, I want Rachel. you to tell me. Well, how I think it happened yeah. was you knew that you were both at the same university mm. and you didn't really pluck up the courage to ask her out until even though you'd met her in Freshers' Week. Yeah, there's that's, that's some truth there. So this is about, I think, it's really nice. So we normally walk from that direction and pop out here, and then it's a nice sort you of view. the subject, Alex Horn. 
Yes, so I think she tells a story like that. So I was a year above her, and I had a girlfriend, and, um, and I carried on having that girlfriend for two years. There was no crossover, but, so we knew we were friends before we went out. And then eventually, I think in my third year, we started going out. And, uh, and that was that. That was it, really. And we both went to journalism college. We both had interviews after Cambridge. Both had interviews at City University, and she got in and I didn't. We had, it was literally a um, X-Factor moment where they sent our two groups to different sides of the room, and, and they said, right, this half of the room, you've made it. You sadly have to go home. And I was in the sadly have to go home group. Oh. So I went to Goldsmiths instead. Where was your first date with her? The Comedy Store in London. It? Yeah, it was Where in the summer. Where did you meet her? Did you say, I'll pick we, you up? Yeah, we met at the church outside the BBC, you know, the pointy one. Since something, you know, the really, the, that... By Broadcasting stuff. House, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that, because she was working, she was doing some... Oh, it's very Richard job. Curtis rom-com, I love it. Yeah, well, no, we I remember it really well, the first date, and I knocked over, I bought us two drinks and had them by our feet, because the comedy store's so, you know, you're on top of each other, and I knocked yeah. them both over. Thank you. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I was really... So you were a bit klutzy. You were a bit shaky, Alex, on the first date. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those odd ones when you know each other really well. So it's not like the first time we'd met, but it was the first time it was the two of us on a romantic night out. But did you know you had a very strong feeling this was the right path? I think so. I mean, yeah, I think I had some... The only... I can't remember who I was talking to about this but that thing when you um getting married is quite a big step so the night before you get married i think it's pretty sur surreal is it you're sort of thinking well this is it really <laughs> you know it's a bit it's a big risk but it's a bit like doing stand-up you know you've just got to go for it i suppose if you've got a good feeling you've just got to go for it if you don't do it you'll never know also i have a theory that you got married relatively young 25 and I'm talking about the, the, how old were you 25 yeah. Yeah, definitely. And relatively you had young. kids and settled down relatively young, and I sometimes think those life choices can—not always, but I think they can insulate you against the the tricky sides of this business. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean that if stability. It, if it works, it's great, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I, we definitely had a firm base, and also she was the breadwinner for a long time. She was the one earning the money. So I could, you know, she was supporting me doing comedy. And you got married on uh, New Year's Day? Yes. How did you find that out? <laughs> I know everything, Alex. Yeah, we did, but not... Uh, it was the only time the church was free. That was the, that was the reason. But it was brilliant because it was, it was over in Ireland. So all our friends came over for a couple of days. So we had New Year's Eve together the night before. She wasn't there because she's was traditional and couldn't see me. So I had a brilliant New Year's Eve and then we all were hung over on the wedding day. It's a very good loyalty test to see who's going to turn up. Yeah, but no one had kids at that point and no one had... Oh, yeah. We were sort of the first of our friends to get married. So it was the first big party and then, you know, over the next five years, you get a bit bored of weddings. <laughs> <laughs> so the horn section was obviously phenomenally successful and you have a brilliant podcast, which I've been on. Yeah, and it's you were our best guest ever. <laughs> I'll be saying that to you after this. Yeah, good. I did love doing it, though. It's just such a unique 
fantastic kind of joyful thing. Well, I think being with live musicians, I don't know, if you, are you musical at all? No, I've always wanted to be, but I'm like you, I like being around yeah. musical people. Yeah, so I went to primary school with two of the band, and we knew each other before primary school, and we, I was in Chichester Youth Orchestra with them, but I was there for one week, and they carried on. So yeah, I'm a frustrated non-musician who wishes I was talented in that department. But you've got the charm and the charisma. Oh, yeah, they've got none of that, <laughs> luckily. Oh, cone of shame, dog, Alex. Oh, we've done that once. Oh, it's, it's the worst, awful. isn't it? You feel, you feel awful. Oh, it's horrible. You feel like a terrible person. Well, actually, she, twice when she was a puppy, ate, ate something poisonous, a toxic mushroom in the woods. Oh. And we thought, and she, was, she had to stay overnight in dog hospital on one occasion. And they said the only way to stop it is to make her wear a muzzle every time you go for a walk so she doesn't eat the stuff. Oh, no. And we couldn't do it, so we're now just hoping she doesn't eat it again. No, you have to let her soul sing openly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, mm. I do want to talk about Taskmaster because it's been quite an extraordinary success. I say that as if to say, that, why the hell is that so successful? No, I know. Yeah. But I don't mean it like that. I mean it because you don't strike me as a sort of Simon Cowell type sitting there in an office thinking, I'm going to create a format that's going to be sold in 106 countries and be a board game and be this and turn into this phenomenon. Yeah, that's fair enough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you strike me as a creative person who just hit upon this genius idea. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely the right way round. As in, you know, when people say, you know when people say you're a genius, Emily, and it's all very embarrassing, but the idea, I think you can have a genius idea without being a genius. You know, it's a bit like being an inventor, I think. You just happen to have struck, sort of, not struck gold, but struck something that happened to work and, and people happen to want it. So yeah, although we do, I'm sometimes in Simon Cowell's dressing room in Pinewood, where the, he used to have it, and he apparently demanded a bathtub was in the middle of his dressing room. I don't know if that's true, but I really like that. But no, definitely, it was just, it wasn't meant to be a TV idea at all, it was meant to be just a thing we did. Was it a sort of, I know you've told this story a million times, but just for anyone who's not aware, just really briefly. Yes. It was... It was just a project in Edinburgh. So Edinburgh's so great for, the horn section was the same. We just booked six nights with a band, said, let's see what happens. And with Taskmaster, we booked one night. I said, I want to set, do this challenge show with 20 comedians over a year. So I set them a task every month for a year. And then one night in Edinburgh, told the story of what happened and who won. Yeah. And that was it, and Greg wasn't involved. It was just a silly thing to do. But it was clearly really fun. During the year it was really fun, and then the show was really heightened energy. People were really excited because no one knew what each other had done. And I think it works because you've tapped into something that I've always been really conscious of, which is having been around comics my whole life, I'd always thought, oh, I wonder why I get nervous playing board games. And then I thought, oh, no, it's just because my friends are very competitive. Yeah, they Unusually are. Unusually so. Do you think that's true of comics? Yeah, definitely. And not 100% of comics, but more than you'd think. So, yeah, a good example is Noel Fielding, who we had in Series 4, and he didn't even realise he was competitive. Well, he said he thought he'd gone over that because he was brilliant in the football. He had trials with people. 
And then during the show, he was winning with about one episode or two to go. And he suddenly became super competitive. And he said, I, I've not been like this since I was a kid, but it's still there. And yeah, it does come out, I'd say more male than female, but females are actually winning much more than men on the show, which I don't know what that says. Well, do you think also something about that format I actually think is really nice for women as well as men? And I'm not making gender stereotypes there, but I do think there are certain panel games which are more combative in that gladiatorial arena type way, you know? Whereas I feel with Taskmaster, it's it's kind of whimsical, it's, it's just bring your thing to the table, you know? Yeah, I hope so, I really hope so. The idea is you do your thing, so you'll have your chance to speak about your thing, and it's not about get, getting your line in and being loudest. So you, we've had people on it who would never go on panel shows, even Tim Key, doesn't, he wouldn't do panel shows, but would do this, and, or, you know, Sally Phillips, or yeah. Catherine Parkinson in the last series was great. And I don't know... Yeah, it was really nice to see her be herself. And I don't know if she could do that on other shows, I suppose. And you get to see a side to people as well, like David Baddiel, which is very, you know, I mean, his, his is sort of infamous, I think. His, yeah, I uh, feel like we see a side, a side to David that his family see every day. <laughs> but everyone else didn't get the chance. He did quite often come up to us and say, to Greg and I, Greg and me, say, I'm actually really clever. <laughs> Do you prefer being little Alex? Do you know what well, I, I mean really by like that? my role in the show. I really like sitting next to a bigger person who can run it. <laughs> no, but Greg shoulders a lot of the responsibilities. So I do a lot of the work, but he does a lot of the really heavy lifting, I think. In, in the studio, he has to run the whole thing. And if he, was, if he has a bad day, which he never does, the whole thing would fall flat, whereas I can disappear, really. And I've got my iPad with all my stats and bits and bobs whereas he has to just be naturally funny all the time like he, he's a natural comedian i think because i don't think i quite am but i like see i like i work with frank and i'm a sidekick to him and i yeah i wouldn't begin to compare what i do to the levels of what you I'm do i'm sure there's a similarity no, no it's not but it's just saying i like the idea of being with that it's like i feel with this huge personality that nothing will phase them. Yeah, I, I think Frank and Greg are definitely, there's a similarity there, that they've both got a story for every occasion and they could turn anything funny. They can either fall back on their own mine of information and funny tales and jokes or just react and be funny because they're, they're just funny, funny people. But then it works because of the combination of you two. I'll take that. No, it's true though, because of, you know... You are Taskmaster. We're not a deliberate double act, so, it, you know, we fell into it, really. As in, I asked him to do it, and he said yes, which is great, but we weren't a double act before, and we didn't practice, you know, we weren't friends even, but we are now. But it wasn't sort of, you'll be the straight guy, you'll be the funny guy. So that's a lot of luck, I think. And there's the new series is coming out as we speak. So, and Lee Mack, who's been on this podcast, he's on it, which I'm, I cannot wait to see how he does yeah, he's pretty extraordinary. I mean, he's, I think, always has been one of my favourite comedians from on Me the too. circuit. You know, I did gigs with him 15 years ago, and he's just so funny, isn't he? So, it, and also, he gives you a lot of licence when you're casting the show to have someone like Mike Wozniak, who has done lots of stuff in his own right, but is less well-known. 
Yeah. So, but you've got Lee there, so you can have Mike as well, and put them on an evil, uh, an, an even yes. playing field, and they both bring out stuff on each other. So yeah, it's, it, Lee is a. I was so pleased he said yes. He said yes because his kids persuaded him to do it. Yeah, they're huge fans, aren't they? Yeah, and it just means the audience. They know. I only. I want the audience to know someone, maybe have heard of a couple of them, and then be introduced to a couple more. That's that's sort of oh, the idea. I can't wait to see it. I think you'll like it. I hope so. I think I will. I like everything about Alex Horn. Everyone always says very nice things about you, Alex. Everyone says, Alex Horn is such a kind, nice man. Yeah, but that must wind people up as well, wouldn't it? I'd hate that. I've what? definitely got a side. Have you? Oh, yeah. Tell me about Alex's side. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I, it's not too bad, really. Come on. Uh, Ang how, show me angry Alex. No, that's probably my side, is that I don't think I'm angry enough. Like, I, I think I should be more angry about... What's that, Emily? Oh, it's a bird of prey. Yeah. Is it a heron? No, is no, it a... No, it's got a fork tail. Hawk tail. A heron? <laughs> that's a, that's a, they, they like water, don't they? They do like water. They're an anagram of horn. I've got, I'm a bit phobic about birds of prey because ah. I've got a small dog. Well, they only eat dead things. That's another red kite. They only eat carrion. You'll be all right. Oh, great. Yeah. But no, we're side. doing Angry Alex. Come on. So, so do I, I don't think I get het up enough about things like Brexit and the government's handling of things because I kind of think, well, I'll just get on with, get on with um, things. How, what do you like at confrontation? Very, very bad. <laughs> oh, there was a fight the other night outside. Of, we got, got a Chinese takeaway and a fight happened in the road outside and this lady said, aren't you going to stop it? I hadn't actually noticed it because I was looking at my phone because I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then looked up and the two of us actually both saw it and went, oh God, do we have to get involved? And it's sort of broken up by the time we went outside, but I don't know what I would have done. I was always just thinking, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to have to. But what about difficult conversations in your own life? So with a business or mm. a colleague or a... Not great, Emily. I would avoid, avoid any difficult conversations and, until it's too late and it's happened. And I normally hope that things die down. I think normally things do, you know, normally things... Do you, ha do you have a lot of draft emails in your inbox? Uh, I no, think I think I've got draft emails in my head, really. I, I definitely think about how to phrase things a lot before. I want to apologise, but I don't want to be too apologetic. Or, you know, <laughs> get, getting it right is, is difficult. And I do like, I suppose, trying to keep everyone happy which tends to mean not keeping anyone really happy you know we're trying to trying to please too many people are you a people pleaser i suppose so because the band you know that's that's the six of us in that and we try to try to keep everyone happy and there's taskmaster and there's a big team there most of us have been in it from the beginning but by flitting between the two of them i sort of then can't commit fully to one you know if we're doing taskmaster we can't do the horn section and vice versa. I know. Well, you're a busy man. You're like a, a French president with your mistress yeah, and your I wife. Yeah, th I think so. Mm. I imagine you're not frightened of your feelings. I think I'm slightly frightened of my feelings. A little bit. I mean, my wife cries a lot more. You know, if we're watching, as we do, Saturday Night Takeaway, she's gone for that middle section, the seeing a happy family or somebody get given a prize. But yeah, I, I think I'm 
probably not quite as emotional as you think I am. Slightly colder. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what does make you cry? <laughs> your stuff your kids do. Yeah, oh, it's definitely that thing of, you can, you know, an advert might suddenly get you once you're... John d- Lewis. Because of the kids. Yeah, that, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, the John <laughs> Lewis advert. Um, it's more, I think, nowadays. It's less crying, but more you get the odd spine tingling thing. Yeah. When something really, really touches you. And it can be something selfish, you know, something... Oh, what was that? Something... Oh, I'll tell you what, it was last night. This is a, this is a selfish thing. But it was St. Patrick's Day yesterday, and someone posted a, a very old recording that we did at the horn section with a singer called Leanne Carroll, who's half Irish. Just a, an Irish medley of songs. And that really got me, because it was maybe nine years ago or something. And for some reason that really tick, you know, because my wife's Irish and we had lots of good times there. Aww. So sometimes, yeah, something out of, the, out of the blue will get me, I suppose. But also I've had such a lucky life in that really nice childhood. All my family are still alive and healthy. Kids are healthy. So, you know, and Taskmaster has meant that I'm pretty relaxed about things. Are you going to move to a mansion in LA or something? No, well that's the other thing. I love where we live, just around here, so we won't, don't have to move. Morning Martin. Morning Martin. He's great. Oh, I feel like I'm on Balamori. <laughs> You're oh, a very a... content life. Yeah, no, exactly. So I can't cry too often, because otherwise... <laughs> but, um, are you a... Do you worry as a dad? When I speak to people again, I don't have kids myself, but mm. people, when they seem to get, the things that keep them up at night seems to be just wanting to make sure their kids are okay and am I doing the right thing and should I be doing this? And Well, that's where I think I'm a lot shallower than you'd expect. Because <laughs> I can drop the kids off at school and not think about them once till they come home. Is that right? Yeah, and it worries me sometimes. I don't give them a single thought. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's not entirely true, but no, they don't really keep me up at night because I, I think I've got quite a, a, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but a general attitude of things will be fine, really. And if you worry about, I mean, there's so many things you could worry about. Thanks. It might change when they go to, when, you know, when they're, people do say this is a good age because I know where they are all the time. They're either at school or in the house. Whereas when they're teenagers, they'll be, they'll be out. But I also think, you know, I'm sure you did some bad things when you were a teenager, or some dangerous things, but they were probably some of the best things he did too. Mm. So I'm going to definitely try to keep being relaxed about it. I would, I would hate to have known, my parents have known what we got up to. You know, really? Setting fire to things and breaking things. You know, not, not really bad things, but just, if I was a parent now, I'd be furious if one of my kids did some of the things I did. Oh, I like your local store, Alex. It's good. You know what they sell in there? What? Orange twirls. <gasps> oh. Yeah. They sell everything. I and they're open know. on Christmas Day. Who, who are your friends, Alex? Uh, Tim, like, and, Tim and Mark. Tim Key and Mark Watson. They're close friends, aren't they're they? They're close friends. All the band. Really close friends. Um, then you've got, you've got your different people, don't you? You've got, I've got my Cheshire people. Parents of my kids' friends. Some university people on a sports chat WhatsApp group. And are you someone people would call in a crisis? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Tell you what, don't, what I don't do. So my wife is very good. So during 
lockdown, you know, you're allowed to go for a walk with one person like this. Yeah. But I haven't done that around here because <laughs> I think people assume I'm really busy or, or I don't know, or we're not close enough or something. Oh, look, we're meeting two doggies here. It's so funny, they get so close to their faces, don't they? How do you end it? How do you end this chat? Lockie, we've come to the end of our walk now. Say goodbye to your friends, Lockie. Do you think Lockie's had a nice walk, Alex? Yes, she's had a nice walk. She always has a nice walk. She has a, she, I think she's as relaxed as I am. Oh, honestly, I think she's a really special dog, you know. Well, that's a bit like with the children. If, the children, if somebody says something nice about your kids, that's the best compliment. So, <laughs> but the same with the dog. If, you, if people like the dog, she's definitely a people dog. You know, she really likes people. Well, I think yeah. that reflects really well Oops. on you. Yeah, I hope so. Lockie, I've loved seeing you. I love your eyelashes, Lockie. Yeah, they're ridiculous. <laughs> they are ridiculous. The likes of Geordie Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye, Lockie. She's, Alex, not, she's I... not good at goodbyes. Is she, how are you at goodbyes? I'm quite enjoying the pandemic. Just elbow touching. No, I like a hug, really. But, uh, you know, at least we've got clear rules now. I think well, I'm into clear rules. I do long drawn out goodbye, so you're going to have to call this one, Alex. Right. But I've really enjoyed our walk today. I felt I really enjoyed it. On a normal walk, I wouldn't quite talk that much about myself. I felt it was a bit unbalanced. I didn't ask about you. Yeah, but that's the point of it. I feel like we know each other now. Now we can actually meet up socially. Can we? Oh, do you think we can? Can I have Lockie's number? Well, weirdly, my wife's number's on it. her... Lock on her collar, which I find a bit weird. Oh, just take it down. Excuse me. Bye-bye, Lockie. Bye. Right, well, I'm going to go. I'm just going to turn my back on you and go to the house, I think. I think that would be a nice ending. That's end. the way to end it. Should we do that? Should we do that? I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>